Hello, this is Steve Babb from Glass Hammer, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and this is episode number 122. My guest for this episode is Steve Babb, one of the co-founders of Glass Hammer. That is a progressive rock outfit out of Tennessee. They've been doing this a long time. Their first album came out 30 years ago, and on October 27th, Glass Hammer will release album number 22 in their catalog it is a space opera the album is called arise steve was great he talked to me about this album great story behind it it's a a fantastic space opera about an android who shows quite a bit of humanity steve also talked quite a bit about his musical background about how he and fred Schendel met and formed glass hammer and a lot about his musical influences so uh, it's a very interesting conversation and i hope you enjoy it before we get to that I invite you to go to michaelsrecordcollection.com and check out the links to everything there, including the link to sign up for my free electronic newsletter. It comes to your email every week. You can also find links there to my Patreon where you can find out the different levels of support for as little as $2 a month. You can support this independent podcast and my independent newsletter. would love to have your support. There are also links there to all my social media accounts, including at Mike's Records on Twitter and at Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Feel free to drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. All right, with all of the housekeeping out of the way, let's get to that interview with Steve Babb. Here we go. I am very excited to be joined today for this episode by uh, Steve Babb of Glass Hammer. Uh, Been doing this a long time. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And a brand new album coming out October 27th on uh, Sound Resources uh, called Arise. It is, wait for it, another concept album from Glass Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a space opera. I, I really can't wait to get into this with you, but I, I think I want to start out with, by asking you what I ask all my guests, which is, uh, what was your first favorite record? Oh, gosh, that's a good one. Um, first one I probably owned. Uh, first couple. Well, no, I'm going to give you three. Okay. It was uh, Frampton Comes Alive. Nice. Uh, Kiss Destroyer. Very nice. Uh, Rush Fly By Night. Well, you had good taste even back then, Steve. Well, I think <laughs> I was 16 when, when, I, got, when I got those. Uh, and then I was pretty much hooked on rock and roll ever well, t- after. Well, well, tell me, how, how did you get interested in music to begin with? Did you take like piano lessons as a kid or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I was a, a pianist. Um, I started lessons in the third grade, and I went to a small church at the time. And so, you know, they'd love to have the. I think there were two of us that played piano, so we were always up there playing. And then pretty soon, I was drafted to be the pianist, and um, so I, I was just involved in music a lot and did the the choir stuff in school some um, through junior high, I think. Uh, so yeah, just always, always loved it. Uh, it was though, like I said, in high school, probably about 16 when I musically sort of woke up to uh, rock and what was going on. Okay. All kinds of music at that point. Now, over the years, you've, you've obviously picked up additional instruments. Is that just, um, were you self-taught? Did you take lessons in other instruments as well? I didn't take lessons in anything else other than piano, but I, that, I was at that for maybe t- I think about 10 years of lessons and theory or actual private lessons and theory. Uh, and then again, or I probably 15 or 16, there was a band that uh, uh, of seniors that got to play our talent show and they were dressed like Alice Cooper and kiss and just this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a mess, but I thought it was great. And um, they played slow ride by fog hat. And the fir- that's the first time I recall feel- feeling a bass. And I could, you know, it was pumping. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's what I got to do. <laughs> feel it. And then uh, I discovered Kiss and Gene Simmons and Getty Lee came next. And 
you know, I was a bass player probably by 17 uh, and then real serious about it at 19. So tell me about uh, you real serious at 19. Go, take, take me from 19 to meeting Fred Schendel and, and starting Glass Hammer. Okay. So it seemed like a long time at the time, but it was only just a few years. I was in a power trio um, called Wizards that um, I started with two other guys when I was 19. And that stayed together for about three years in that form. And we were big fans of uh, Rush. And so I had a synthesizer, I had Taurus pedals, uh, you know, and we were kind of a hit in Chattanooga um, real quick, which kind of gets to your head when you're a teenager. <laughs> so we wore capes and we, you know, it was just crazy stuff. Uh, but I was already into yes at that point and obviously, you know, Kansas and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Black Sabbath was another big influence and in Ozzy. Uh, so a few years went by, I was on the road for a while and a good friend of mine, uh, had met Fred. They were playing, they were in bands at Six Flags over Georgia. Uh, and he's like, you got to meet this keyboard player. We're bringing him home with us. Uh, and they brought him home. And about a year later, uh, I met him at a music store and he handed me his tape and I, and he already had mine. Uh, and we started swapping music. So that'd been 86, I think. And then we talked about starting a band for years, uh, but it just didn't work out for us till about 91, somewhere 91, I think 92, we started dabbling in synth uh, mm -hmm. projects together. And then in 93, we're like, heck with it. You know? And we did uh, Journey of the Dunedin. Yeah, it all started with Journey of the Dunedin 30 years ago. Can you believe it's <laughs> been three decades? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but it's it's kind of crazy, you know. I mean, I was already, I, I was 33 then. So, you know, I would kind of thought, well, this is never going to happen for me, but I'm not going to quit. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, I, I think really doing the kind of music I wanted to do, that's when things kind of clicked uh, for us. And, and uh, you know, I'm very, have, I've had a very blessed musical career since then. fair house of Elrond welcomes the tired and weary travelers. And so, in the shadow of the Misty Mountains, there is peace at last. Their wounds are healed and their spirits mended. Days are spent roaming the gentle slopes and forests of the elven land. Nights are full of song and storytelling and sitting about the fire with friends. But there are councils of war, for the ring must go south. And nine shall be the number of the company. Nine to match the nine riders. Nine to hold the hope of many. Nine who hold the fate of freedom in their hands. So when Journey came out, um, it, it did pretty well with internet sales. Uh, did you ever really get a sense of whether it was progressive rock fans whether it was Lord of the Rings fans just looking for anything to go with their favorite books, a combination of those, or, or if, if one sort of outweighed the other. Well, we didn't know about the progressive rock. Well, that there was a sort of revival that was about to happen. Uh, we had preached it to each other. And I, that was my goal was uh, we're going to start one. Um, but I didn't know how to reach those people. So I, developed the idea let's do something about Tolkien or Lord of the Rings or some kind of very obscure part of Lord of the Rings and advertise it in some sci-fi magazines, which we did. Uh, and then QVC picked it up for, I don't know if you know that, I think it's on the Wikipedia page and did 15 mm -hmm. minutes, you know, which, you know, you, that's hard to do to get that. It was back then, but they called us, which I thought was great. So suddenly we were seen by lots of people and, um, and then uh, also at that time, uh, Ken Golden from the Laser's Edge discovered us uh, because I'd had Bob Katz do the mastering on the album. I just I found his name in a magazine. And, mm. and uh, next thing I know, uh, Ken 
is ordering like hundreds of copies. And so I tried to ride the fence there for a little while, not sure which way to go. Yeah. Uh, but what we really want to do is prog rock, you know. And okay. I've sent so, Ken a lot of my money over the years. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. So, some of it for your music and, and some of it for others. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah great. Uh, Laser's Edge is great. I, I yeah, he turned, he turned us on to, to a lot of, uh, you know, distributors and just kind of kind of helped me get the ball rolling. So he did, he did a good job for us. Awesome. I, I think that's one of the great things about the progressive rock community is just how inclusive and how um, helpful and uh, and supportive that it is. It's it's a great thing. I don't. I, I I've always sort of guessed that other genres, other niche genres, probably have communities like that. And I've always encouraged people I'm producing, you know, kind of narrow down what you're after and go find those people, uh, and and you'll find you know radio. You'll find uh, you know blogs, and you'll find all sorts of people that'll support it. Uh, but prog rock, man, that's uh, you know it, it was established, reestablished in the early '90s, I think, and um, just incredible people that you go to con- or uh, go to play concerts, and you'd see them. You know, I might see them in Philly, or you go to uh, L.A., and you run into the same people, and, uh, and just got to know tons of them online over the years. So lots of lots of friends, you know, developed out of uh, the prog rock fan base. Yeah, I would imagine so. So um, I've seen, I, and I like this description. I've seen it uh, written that you guys were kind of like Steely Dan of prog rock um, in that it's you and Fred, and then you surround yourself with different musicians for different albums. And and you've always been very chameleon-like in your approach to music and approach to your concept albums. And um, I just wondered, was that always the plan or did it just kind of work out that way? Well, it, it started that way uh, because uh, in a big way, I was through with being in a band. Uh, I had done that. And I, I was definitely, it sounds a little obnoxious, but I was definitely done with being in a democratic uh, organization uh, where you were kind of subject to whatever numbskulls you were playing with, you know, and I could never, to my liking, at least motivate the people around me to do the things we needed to do. I, I had one band that was, you know, set up to be pretty big, a pretty big deal, had a big record deal. And they just kind of, they just kind of blew it. And uh, so I wanted to run things myself and Fred was, happy with that and my wife uh, uh julie was a big help with us and helped me run the business but we just kind of gathered musicians that we knew and they helped us record that first album or added some parts and then we started a studio from that which meant that there were always this continual source of of musicians coming into to, uh, my studio and a lot of those people got drafted uh, Hannah's the most recent one. I mean, she came in to work on a praise and worship album for a local church. And um, we, we grabbed her right up. So say it happened with Susie the same way. Well, you've been very fortunate with with vocalists for sure over the years. I mean, uh, not only are, are both of them fantastic singers, uh, you know, you've obviously had John Davison, uh, who's been on guests. I mean, uh, just uh, an incredible array. Yeah. Um, who was a friend of Fred's. Uh, and uh, Carl Groves from Salem Hill, um, which, yeah, we've had some incredible people. Yeah. I may be wrong. It's hard to count them all. My age, math's hard. I think this is your 21st uh, studio album. Is that correct? Is that close? I think it's 22. 22? I think. And I count them. And sometimes it's, well, do we count this one or do we not count that one? And I think it's 22 solid studio albums. I think that's what it is. <laughs> Well, that's amazing. In 30 years, that's that's a pretty a pretty good amount of output, really. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, we might should have slowed down some, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I just that was not not something I was interested in doing. I just like to keep it going. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, and your fan base is probably very appreciative of that because uh, they they continue to get fresh music. And, and like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's so varied over the years with different singers, different styles, different approaches to these albums.
Um, let's dive in a little bit to Arise. Now, when you thought about this album, before you started writing, do you do you actually sit and think this is the kind of album I want to make? Or do you just noodle around with things and find out what sounds good and then it grows from there? I typically, I'll look for inspiration or I'll wait to see what that story idea is going to be. Uh, and it usually occurs not long after a release uh, because I read a lot, I watch movies and, and something will kind of like, oh, that'd be a good idea. Um, the whole Scalagrim thing for the last three albums, that was something that was kind of really near and dear to my heart. So um, the story itself. And then, of course, I went on and wrote a book from that and working on another one. So that whole thing. And, and of course, it had a tie-in uh, to The Inconsolable Secret, which was a big album for us. Yeah. For Arise, I've always talked about doing a space rock album. Or we've talked about it. Uh, and... You know, I, I don't want to copy other groups um, who've been accused of that in the past. I couldn't, other than Hawkwind, I, and I couldn't really tell you a lot of space rock groups that I've listened to. Um, I like Osric Tentacles. I'm not sure if that fits in there or not. Mm. Um, but I just like that kind of sound. And then we'll start to write, or in this case, I wrote most of this one. Um, and inevitably, I start getting away from it into some more symphonic ideas, you know, and, and so it's just kind of well, glass hammer has just always been kind of all over the map. And I, I think there's an underlying uh, vibe that ties it all into who we are. And um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I just, I felt like we haven't been to space yet. <laughs> we'll see where it could go. And then the idea of this Android that's kind of going out there searching for uh, things, he's kind of like a weird search for God in a way. Uh, but what they find out in the universe isn't very pleasant. Uh, so it's kind of has a nice build to it, I think, for story. Anyway, those kind of stories just sort of get me going. And, and musically, I'm just listening to things all the time that kind of inspire me. Um, it's, a lot of these stories could probably be put in any, any other setting. Like a, the Scalagram story was supposed to have been a Western. <laughs> so I got talked out of that one. Okay. Was there a, a particular book or movie that inspired the story for Arise? Uh, other than I love uh, Interstellar, uh, which I tried to catch some of that vibe with that opening track. Uh, and I just I've always been a fan of, of Star Trek and things like that. And Data, of course, my absolute favorite Android. So I tried to write some of the script in there um, a little bit modeled after things Data might say if he were my character. <laughs> Yeah, I can see it. So Arise uh, in this concept stands for Android Research Initiative for Space Exploration. Isn't that great? <laughs> and yeah, it's great. Now, throughout the album, uh, an android's humanity is at the forefront, and it, he undertakes uh, this spiritual journey along the way. Tell me about the concept for this album. This, this sounds like a movie I'd like to watch. Ah, good. Well, yeah, he uh, and I did like to, to make these in acronyms, you know, or just... Um, like uh, like a military sort of feel to it, like mission statements coming from some bureaucratic science group. You know. So I just wanted it to be something that maybe represented like uh, the arrogance of man, uh, thinking he it's uh, he's God himself. Um, he's just going to go out and discover all these wonderful things, and he's going he's going to mold the universe in his image. And they sent out this poor android uh, to find it all and. Uh, it ends up that there's uh, quite a bit of horror instead of all the wonder he thought he thought he would find. Uh, so then that comes from um, I, I'm a big Lovecraft fan and uh, Clark Ashton Smith and some of so combining these weird um, um, horror, cosmic horror, cosmic dread ideas, mixing that with my own faith uh, that they don't seem like they would marry well, but uh, I think it's pretty neat. So, yeah, so Android goes to space, finds out some, some terrible things, and then the bureaucracy tries to stop him from coming back uh, because they don't, want, they don't want him to come back and say what he's going to say, mm -hmm. keep it all a secret, and we'll have to see. Maybe I'll return to the project one day. Maybe I'll do a space trilogy, and we'll find out what, what actually happened to him. Yeah, that'd be great. That's uh, sort of what uh, Rush did with uh, Hemispheres. Yeah, uh, that, one of my all-time favorite 
albums. Yeah, and, it's, uh, a, it's a great one. So we talked a little bit about, you know, what inspired it. Um, this was composed, recorded, and produced by you at Sound Resources Studio in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. What was what was the recording process like and how long did it take to get everything down and then to put it all together with the mixing and everything? I couldn't tell you exactly when this one started, but probably um, was working on it maybe as early as January or February uh, of this last year. And then had most of it written actually the, the very last song the big uh uh metal jam on the end of the song that was the first thing i wrote and really had uh grease boyd come up and started to thought seriously about trying to do a whole album of that kind of music but i had these other songs percolating so wrote all that and then just spent a lot of time uh working with hannah when she could come in and that pretty much did it. So several months, um, but music is generally written uh, in a matter of weeks. Uh, and then the process usually is uh, delayed somewhat by when I can get people in, when they can get their files back to me or you know, that kind of thing. So it, as far as the process goes, when you're writing these songs, are you, are you jamming with one or more musicians? Are you just noodling about by yourself? How does that happen? Uh, yeah, I, I, I work pretty hard for days sometimes on an idea and it just didn't happen. Like I just have to come back to it over and over and over. I have to work literally for every note. Um, so once once I've sort of got it moving, then it just sort of takes off on its own. It's a very strange uh, process. I couldn't really tell you exactly how it happens, <laughs> but I usually have a bass guitar nearby, and I've got um, a keyboard right in front of me, and I just uh, write. I just write till it, it makes me happy, and then I try to find a key for somebody to come sing it. That's that's always <laughs> the next bit. I like it when I've got a singer sitting there with me. I got to do that more with um, Into the Breach, Scalagram Into the Breach, and somewhat on At the Gate with Hannah, uh, just right there with me. Um, so I could hear her voice as we went. That's very important to me. So you put everything together like on a demo and then you share it with uh, the musicians you're going to be working with for the most part? Yeah, it's always kind of a rough idea. And, uh, and then I hand it out and I tell them, um, you know, here's kind of what I'm thinking, but I've, I've always encouraged everybody to do, to do their thing. Mm. So I don't hand them parts per se. Uh, I'll do, I will sing melodies for Hannah. And then, you know, I try to get her to do her thing because I mean, she's super talented. Any singer I've worked with, I've always encouraged, you know, this is my idea. That's all it is. You know, if I was, if I, if I, could do it the way I wanted to hear it. I'd sing it myself. You know, but that's why you're here. You know, bring your talent and mix it. Same with guitar players. Uh, I did, you know, push Reese around a little bit this time. I knew I wanted some really crazy stuff out of him. Uh, Reese Boyd, who's yeah. we sort of. I went ahead and made him an official member this time for what that's worth. Uh, but <laughs> he's been he's been working with us since I think 2018. By coming in just doing some session work and maybe played a couple of songs. He's been on several albums. So, a young guy, super talented. Yeah, I was uh I was gonna say this is a you're known for 
certain styles of music. This is very guitar based drum driven album. Yeah. Uh, much heavier than, than what we're used to. If you, if you came in like I did at Lex Rex or, you know, inconsolable secret or, you know, if, or when any of these things, you're not going to recognize this band almost from, from anything that, you know, that you've, that you've done before that this arise, uh, music is quite different. It's heavy. It's, it's almost like, I, I mean, it's trying to figure it out today, what it reminded me of. And it, it's kind of like black Sabbath meets Arion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I accept that. Yeah. It's, it's really heavy. I love the heaviness of this. I, I didn't know what a heavy glass hammer album would sound like, but, uh, I, I really enjoy the, the, the difference in, in, in the sound. And, um, the keyboards are, are there a little less prevalent than, um, you know, say some of your older stuff that you've done in the past. Absolutely. Well, I, I do like to take, uh, one thing I'd like to do is stretch progressive rock in as many directions as I can get it to go, because I'm not like a, a prog rock aficionado. Uh, lots of our fans love that stuff and that's all they listen to. I love to play it, you know, and be a part of it and write it. Uh, I don't, branch out really with my listening and, and you know i don't hear that much especially the modern stuff i really don't hear that much of but i do love uh to kind of uh, shop around for new bands that are out there doing neat neat things but i've always been a sabbath fan uh, and then there's a whole genre uh that's come from that from sabbath called stoner doom or doom rock it's all this neat um grungy you know dark metal and my thinking is, is you can take some of those real heavy bluesy uh, sort of riffs, which I don't hear in a lot of prog and a lot of blues based stuff. Um, and then, and then add those neat kind of Pink Floyd synthesizer elements to it. Uh, to me, you still got progressive rock. Uh, so uh, I do like to experiment uh, with different sounds. I've loved, I've loved a lot of pop music. I love lots of heavy stuff and it's just all going to get in there when I do a glass hammer out. <laughs> this is probably my, and you guys have had some incredible artwork. This is probably my favorite glass hammer artwork ever, which is saying something. Uh, tell me a little bit about Michael Lorank's uh, work on this. He, uh, well, he took my idea uh, and just kind of molded it. He didn't have as much to do with this one, uh, but I, uh, he's always done our designs and our logos and he kind of got that into shape for me. So um, there's some art. I don't know if, if you have the PDF that went with it, but there's lots of cool mm -hmm. artwork that's inside. That yeah, sure there. do. Yeah. Fantastic uh, stuff. You like it? So I, I, po I posted it as a possible cover uh, to our fans. Actually, I was just teasing the album. It wasn't what I was going to use as a cover at all. And the response was immediate. This was several months ago. And uh, they're like, I'd buy a T-shirt of that. And I'm like, oh, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and know, I've seen on your Facebook really, page that your T-shirt sales are going quite well with this. They're about going, yeah. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm hoping I get one of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, That brings up an interesting point. I, always, I, I like to always ask people, uh, and sometimes I forget, do you have one of everything you've put out? Uh, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes... Uh, and my son was really good. He's, uh, he, he kept everything. He's got, uh, you know, CDRs of demos. He, he just had a, tons of that stuff. So sometimes I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't find a copy of Honda Evermore, and I need it for this or that. And I'd just go to him, and, and he, he, he popped it out for me. But, yeah, I think we've got just about everything. I have a drawer full of T-shirts. I know that. That's good. You have a, you, everybody needs a historian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Archivist or something.
Um, let's talk about the personnel. Steve Babb, uh, keyboards, rhythm and lead guitars, bass, percussion, and vocals. Hannah Pryor, you mentioned fantastic vocals. Uh, Reese Boyd on lead and rhythm guitars. And, and some really absolutely wailing parts throughout this album. Uh, Randall Williams on drums. And in the, the liner notes say, with Fred Schendel, uh, guitars and drums on Rift at Wasp 12, the track with, uh, Rift at Wasp 12. Tell me about uh, uh, you and Fred. You've, you and Fred have been there from the beginning. Um, is, has Fred stepped back? I, I'm not sure that I'm aware of the story. Well, there really isn't a, a, you know, a story or even an official statement or reason about that. I, I decided uh, it was for my part, I was going to step back and take a more passive role and, and, and not push people. Uh, it's been 30 years, you know, and I thought I'd try to do things a little different. And so I let everybody know, here's the schedule. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, and he and I talked through it uh, quite a bit. Um, and I waited, <laughs> and, uh, but I just, that was the kind of thing I, I've, I've always done with people. I think I, I push to produce, I'm a producer. Mm-hmm. And so that's like driving me. I've got to make this thing. So this time I'm like, let's just t- chill out. I had enough music and, uh, I just kind of gave him a break. Um, and, uh, but he and I have been working together the whole time. So he, he was happy with his contribution and, and I loved the, the track is really good. So uh, yeah, yeah well, it's not like a, a meeting where we sit down and go, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, it's just not been, we're not talked about it really. Okay. But, you know, it's generally known amongst the glass hammer musicians uh, that, that I don't stop. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of my thing this, this, this time around, I'm going to ask you twice and uh, maybe three times. And after that, you know, I'm, I'm moving. Yeah. Trains leaving the station. Get on or get run over. Described. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, uh, a couple of band members had a conversation once behind my back. I was told about like, what's he doing? What is he doing? And, and the answer from one of the musicians at the studio was like, well, you're not sitting there on the couch. If you're not there with him sitting on the couch, you know, you're not going to know because we're making it up as we go. You kind of got to be interested and stay in the loop with me and, and I'll keep you working. But, um, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a kind of a, a relief to me in a way, just kind of just take a step back, let everybody relax and contribute as they want. And, uh, and I think we've got a really good album. So, Yeah, you do. And uh, you, you already mentioned the return of the Daedalus, um, the, the epic. Uh, is that your longest extended jam song where it's just instrumental? Or, did, or have you had something longer than that? No, well, there's been longer, no, nothing like that that's an instrumental. Um, and I did have Hannah drop a vocal her last 10 minutes in the studio. She was like, on her way out the door. I'm like, get back in there. You know, I can't just have you disappear on the end of the album. So I put her on it. But uh, I think it's our only real jam song we've ever done. I've been a, I've been kind of flirting with the idea of some sort of extended by tour in the snow dog type of uh, aggressive track. Um, I don't, I did see somebody's already compared it to by tour and the snow dog. I don't think it sounds like that so much, except that it's just a big feast of guitar mm-hmm. noise and leads. And there's some cool keyboards in it too, I think. But I started the whole thing with a swing beat, which I've not heard really in Prague. It's just kind of grooving along just long um, intro, just bass and noise. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with the whole, the whole thing was finished with no guitar on it at all. And we already liked it. And, um, so when a race came up and spent a whole afternoon and I wore him out on that, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, I, I, I'm still my favorite track probably. Yeah.
you're i mean all the glass hammer albums your your bass playing is a a a i would say a standout part of what glass hammers always does as always done but in, on this album it's heavy it drives these songs it's a lead instrument if you will it's really prevalent i i just absolutely adore the way that the bass came out on this record yes <laughs> hey, that's great well i, I hope i didn't over mix it i've done that before um i feel like there's at least one album where a year later i'm listening to it in the car and what did i what was i thinking man it's just it, the bass is eating everything up um but I've, you know, I, I enjoy playing it, and I, I kind of want it to sit in the mix. But obviously, it's, you know, that's my style of playing. It's, I'm, it's trying to grab your attention, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it works well in concert with the other instruments, uh, and I think it's seated pretty well in the mix. But for me, it's what comes through in terms of what I guess, I guess what I'm, my ears are gravitating toward when I listen to these songs. Because, okay. and I think that's a part and parcel of the songs being heavy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I play really heavy. Uh, I'll play, if there's anything melodic going on where I, I'm up on the neck really high and I, I would compare, that's the Chris Squire stuff that I like where it's more like a cello uh, mm. than anything and just a very emotional kind of stuff. I usually play that with my fingers uh, or sit really still and, and concentrate on how to play those notes and make them come out like, like, uh, like the bass is actually kind of crying or, speaking or singing or something like that. But when I'm down on that, uh, the lower uh, part of the neck, uh, I'm picking and I have a weird picking technique, which is partly from being self-taught. I'm mostly downstroke uh, and it just comes out just heavy, heavy, heavy. Uh, so just add a little grit to that. And uh, that's, that's where I'm getting my tone. And I change it. Usually every album I'm messing with something new and it's always sort of sounds the same. <laughs> <whatever> <laughs> I do. I'm glad you like it. Tell me about the bass you used, or did you use a variety of basses on this record? I did not. This is, see that? That's, That's a one. Yamaha. Uh, it's a Nathan East Yamaha four string that I have I purchased right before The Inconsolable Secret in 2005, and it's been my main bass the whole time. I have, I just, Finally got rid of an eight string I had. I, I haven't used it and so on. And then occasionally I had an, an old Ibanez from the 80s. I've still got that, and, but I haven't used it in a while. This, this is pretty much the base on everything you've heard in the last 15 years. Well, that's uh, it, it, it has a nice sound to it. Uh, so that this is um, nine songs. Starts off with the instrumental intro launch of the Daedalus and, uh, and then goes into uh, Wolf 359, which... I love it. It's a it's a sinister sounding song. Lots of tension in this song. Um, was that the intent, or did that just work out that way? That was uh, well. You're talking which song? Wolf. Wolf three five nine. So that's uh, got the the big drums and the yeah. Like it's the next. It, well, that's track number two. Is that the one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I was going for some something sinister, just something that would sound like a you know, like a launch, you know, like um, okay. just some, something big that would evoke feelings as a big rocket, you know, um, more soundtrack esque, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. And to me that, you know, that's not really the heaviest. One. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. That one was written pretty quick. So you get, you, you get that tension, that nice tension, which I kind of, kind of goes with that spirit of exploration, especially, especially space exploration and I, in a space horror yeah. theme. I mean, it's very, it's very cinematic, I think. And, um, and then, uh, what I've, what I've written down for the song, Arian 18 Delphini B, I wrote four letters, R A W K with an exclamation point rock. <laughs> um, just, just, uh, monster bass runs in that, in that one. Thank you. That one was tough. Uh, it almost didn't make it on the album, um, because I could not get a mix on it that I was satisfied with. I had uh, Hannah sang the verses originally, I had her do it a certain way. And then in hindsight, I'm like, Oh no, uh, she, she her first instinct was to sing it real powerful. And I made her get real quiet so I could make her real powerful on the, on the chorus. 
And I heard it back after a few weeks and oh no, no. And I couldn't ever get her back in for that. She's, she's a brand new mom. So we just couldn't time it out to get her back in the studio to finish. And so I ended up singing it. And then I didn't like that. And then I convinced myself I did. I went back and forth with that thing. Uh, the last thing I finally got a good mix of it that I was happy with. I, the, the lead breaks are so cool. I think uh, what Reese did and the, and, I like what the, the bass is doing on, on those lead breaks too. I, I couldn't ditch it. So <laughs> it ended up, it made it on. It's, it's kind of a uplifting, happy song on an otherwise dark and spooky album. But yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. How do you like these song titles? <laughs> I love it because like I'm a big sci-fi nerd. So I love, you know, all of this type of, of thing is cool. I, I want to read the novel of this thing. They're all real places. Yeah, and I thought too, you know, and I've been really diving into this writing sword and sorcery, and then I got to thinking, hey, you know what? You know, maybe this should be written. Uh, it's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I did. Uh, and back to how that story developed, it was partly going to be a story about how uh, the, you know, how AI was taken off and what people were scared of. And um, I'm like, well, that's going to really date this album if I do it that way. So I ended up being just more about the android himself. I mean, and it's really a cool thing when you when you talk about humanizing an android and you you have this android out there and they are finding god or maybe something representing itself as yeah. god and and you're not really quite right. sure you don't know <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean a lot of that obviously is me uh kind of living through this character i'm not sure that an android can find god or would, <laughs> would care uh, but mine does. So that's kind of where I went with it. Uh, I think a lot of music should be about spiritual journeys. And, uh, you know, the neat thing about Androids and I've, my Star Trek geekdom will show here, but, you know, Data spends his whole career on the show trying to become human or understand human. And of course, mm -hmm. his last act on the series, at least, was, you know, like the most human thing of all. He was turned out to have more humanity about him than anybody did. Yeah, I think so, Data would be very interested in meeting God or finding God. I think that he would. He's yeah. an interesting character. For sure. I do want to talk about Rift at Wasp 12. This is, uh, I've written down, this is vintage heavy metal slash progressive metal. I think this one really kicks. Um, yeah. And this is the one that, that you and Fred both uh, worked yeah. on together. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that came together. You, you mentioned some of these came together very quickly. Others came, it took a little bit of time. Uh, tell me about this one. It came together super quick. I imagine he put a lot of that together in about an afternoon uh, because I had it, you know, real, really soon after and added my stuff to it. Uh, it went fast. That's an easy song to do. Uh, and that tells you that it's good. <laughs> you don't have to shop around for ways to make it good. It's just, just, just there and it's good. So um, I think my directions to him were, um, you know, go spacey, not, not so much doom, go, go space rock. Um, and he, you know, he did the lead on that. And I think he was kind of struggling with ideas for that. I think if I remember correctly, I'm like Steve Hillage was what I told him, you know, something real spacey. Mm -hmm. And he, he nailed that. He can, he can nail seventies guitar. I mean, he's got yeah. That. yeah. 
So, I, so Reese, who's like blazing all over the album, didn't play on that one at all. <laughs> it's just on guitar. Okay, good. Uh, that's good to know. And and you know, I mentioned before, um, it reminded me of Black Sabbath meets Arion. And I know you've worked with Ari and Anthony Lucasen before. Did, yeah, early on. Yeah, uh, was it doesn't sound necessarily like Arion, but I wondered if there was any residual influence from his style uh, he's done many many space operas and and I, it, there's a there's just a vibe there that reminds me of of arian music i know de- since fred wrote the majority of that i'm not i probably shouldn't say but i'm going to tell you what i think and that would be that that will probably wasn't a consideration at all mm-hmm. i think over the years we develop impressions of what music sounded like or sounds like or what our inspirations sound like and so we just set out to write and uh, something like that. You just want a big, fat, wet guitar. Uh, we just, I think we just kind of know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as influences go, I, I, it's just a general idea of spacey, spacey stuff. Not, certainly not Rush, not really Sabbath, uh, but mm-hmm. it's crunchy. You know, I hope it sort of stands on its own, but probably not Arion influenced. Okay. Probably not. Yeah. And like I said, it doesn't sound like Arian per se, but there's a, there's a vibe that is shared, I think, between yeah, that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. similar DNA. You know? Yeah. Um, sure. And you, you backload this with the two epics, the uh, uh, Arise, the, the title track is uh, around 11 and a half minutes. And then the Return of the Daedalus at uh, just under 17 minutes. I'm guessing because this is a linear story, you didn't just uh, set out to necessarily make these songs at any particular length so that you would have the two long ones back to back. But uh, no. tell me a little bit about the, uh, the evolution of the story. Did it come after you had the tracks? Yeah. Well, I think the whole time I'm writing, I'm kind of picturing where a certain idea would work. Um, and maybe, and I've tried to be sort of loose with the story as far as lyrics go, like back when we were doing the inconsolable secret songs were literally, you know, in a, in an order, uh, the lyrics had to continually tell the story. And now since we did the Scalagram albums, I've learned to sort of back away from that and add text to the, uh, to the CD or to the liner notes, just add story mm-hmm. actual, you can read along. So you kind of get a vibe of what I'm wanting you to feel. If you just read those paragraphs before each song, uh, you know, there's, you certainly, uh, I think lyrically they have to be kind of loose to make that work. Mm-hmm. So I don't want my heaviest stuff up front, for instance. Uh, I don't want somebody to go, oh my gosh, this album is not going to be what I like at all. I, I like to pull you in like a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it usually ends up shaping itself like that, where there's either heavier stuff in the middle. Uh, maybe the ballads are in the middle. So there's a kind of nice little dip uh, before we just kill you at the end. <laughs> that's a big thing for me is always the end of a glass hammer album. It's just always a challenge because I cannot make myself, you know, just put a song there. They have to have, it has to kind of wrap things up. Um, so, you know, uh, the song Arise is almost kind of like the last song on the album uh, as far as the story goes mm-hmm. because there's no lyrics really uh, other than the one line on, on the big finale. Uh, so generally, I just wanted you to get a feeling on those last 16 or 17 minutes of the album that things just went nuts. Uh, <laughs> it reached a big dramatic conclusion. You can kind of figure it out for yourself what really happened. Yeah. Uh, so I hope it's kind of creates visuals as it, as it goes. Yeah, and like I said, I, I I'd love to I'd love to see this movie. I'd love to read this book. It's uh I, I like the little interstitials in the liner notes with the you kind of get the sense of what the androids reporting back and then what the, the, the space agency is uh, saying that uh, about it. Yeah. I kind of, if you're paying attention, uh, you're supposed to sort of start to sniff a conspiracy at some point. Uh, it's not going the way you thought it was going to go. And that this group of people are up to no good, maybe, or they're just trying to hide something. So it doesn't ever come out and say that, but that's obviously now I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's and it's um, it it's kind of tropey in sci-fi, but it's yeah. a trope that works in terms of. I mean, like you could go back to Aliens, and you find out that you know they were the company that went there, knew about the aliens, and knew about they were there, and that kind of thing. Sorry, I don't mean to spoil Aliens for anybody at this point, but uh, it's a little bit old. 
but I, I, I kind of like that. I, I, I was, um, even if you know that the, that the sucker punch is coming, uh, it's still kind of, um, you get a kick out of it when it arrives. Yeah, I think so. And then, uh, you know, typically too, with glass hammer albums, I think you sort of expect a happy ending. If you're, if you're a long time fan, you know, there's a lot of optimism in what we're saying. And, and sometimes I like to kind of flip that on its head. I, I think I did it somewhat with the last album. Uh, I won't spoil how that ends if you haven't heard it, but, um, you know, I, I wanted this one to just like, Oh my gosh, you know, what just happened? <laughs> so I, I do have a, a faith that, that I do believe in happy endings, uh, but I don't think every album needs to end, uh, you know, with a bow. On it and there right you go. You know, Variety is the spice of life, Steve. <laughs> and I kind of like to leave it hanging to see if I'm, I'm inspired to keep doing something else, you know, with that story. And I make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, don't, don't close off that, uh, that particular uh, creative flow. No. I, and trilogies. I mean, to a large extent, the last one, um, when we did dreaming city, I think at some point pretty quick uh, announced it's going to be a trilogy. And part of the reason I do that or did that was to challenge us, you know, because I know, hey, look, if we've said we're going to do a trilogy, <laughs> I got to deliver now. And yeah. three years of work came out of that. And lots of great, cool songs. So sometimes it's kind of neat to, you know, pitch that idea out there like, oh, this is just part one. And then your brain is kind of forced to, you got to deal with that. You know? So we'll see. be any live staging of this album at some point i don't see that uh happening uh, we haven't done a show now since 2018 uh we were geared up to return to cruise to the edge the following year and had a super tight band and we were rehearsed uh, and excited and then uh cruise was canceled uh, and another year or two drags by uh, because I'm not out there looking for gigs for us. I'm just not. We've done the cool ones, the big ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, when you're, especially when you're dealing with a studio band, that's always been a challenge for us. You, you're suddenly, you know, I've got to take people that are quite comfortable in here in the studio. And then we have to turn that into a band. And I, to me, it's putting a lot of pressure on a lot of people, including myself. I'd love to play and I'd love to do some of this stuff live, but I don't see it happening yeah. anytime soon, at least. Well, it would be cool to get a DVD of this thing in its entirety yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I understand it's, it's difficult, especially for, for a studio band to, to come together and, uh, and it's really difficult financially to, to do, shows uh unless somebody's supporting you financially well right and i've just tried to keep it as a rule and the thread was always on board with this if, if we can't pay the band uh then it's the point and i'm not going to do that to people so mm -hmm. we've only played the shows that paid and uh you know there's some big ones that we've missed there's one in europe i can think of they just don't pay anybody uh, except their headliner and you know, I want to go to Germany, for instance, and um, tour. I suppose we could do something like that. We did go to Italy. We did a big show there in 2017, I guess. Um, but they take good care of us when we do those things. Uh, otherwise, I'm not interested in going out and playing smaller venues or clubs 
uh, that sort of thing. It's just work that I'm not interested in doing at this point in life. I did that for years. I was on the road for years uh, when I was much younger. Yeah. This is much easier. I like to write. Yeah. Well, um, and, and I'm sure your fans are happy because that's how you get 22 studio albums in 30 well, years. It was a big problem that anytime we took a break to rehearse, you know, cause you, in a prog band, uh, I think it happens a lot like this. You, you know, there's some big shows, some big festival that you're going to play. So you might have two or three other shows that go along with that. So now you take out several weeks of your life to rehearse. Well, you're not writing and you're not recording and you're not producing. So we found it like, you know, it was a mixed bag really. Um, because we like to play, mm-hmm. but it took time away from the really important thing or what was important to us, which was writing and producing and making albums. That just became a big thing for us. Uh, is there a place that's better for you if your fans buy it in a particular area? Should they go to glasshammer.com and buy it or should they go to Bandcamp or uh, does it matter to you? Uh, I, as long as they get it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, if I had my... I mean, it, it's always great when they come to the website and buy it there, especially during the pre-order phase, because we have a lot of really good distributors out there and they jump on it too. And now they're, they're pre-selling it. Uh, but when you pre-order it from us, that helps us to finance the, the project and, and hopefully finance the beginning of the next one. So that's always beneficial. But beyond that, uh, Bandcamp's great. Uh, Prog Rock distributors all carry it. Uh, you know, Ken will have it. Uh, just mm-hmm. for kicks and Germany carries it. And uh, there's uh, white Knight records. I believe that's what his company is. Will uh, and uh, Wales covers great Britain for us. So we've got a lot of good guys working out there to sell it. Okay. Nice um, too. Now, did I, am I remembering this right? If you, if you pre-order it by a certain date, you get an autographed copy. If you get yeah, it I'm autographing all these that are pre-ordered and then in lieu of an autograph for digital pre-orders, uh, I'm throwing in a bonus track. But a lot of people that ordered the hard copy, oh, I want the bonus track. Well, you got the audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the only way, fair way I could, I think I could come up with, uh, you know, trying to uh, entice people to pre-order a digital copy. I can't autograph that. So yeah. they, they get a free bonus track. Yeah. Well, and I think your fans that want it, they, they enjoy what you do. They'll be willing to yeah, buck up for a digital faithful. copy. <laughs> very faithful. And would are, uh, we've done really good this time and it's still two weeks from the release and it's selling very well. So we're pretty happy with it. That's good. Now I, you mentioned this album a couple times and uh, it happens to be maybe to this one, maybe my favorite glass hammer, the inconsolable secret. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's uh, near and dear to our hearts. A couple of my favorites. I thought I'd just grab it. I want to grab yeah. all of them off the shelf, but uh, these two, I, I love the culture of ascent. I, I love inconsolable secret. But this album is is not your father's or grandfather's glass hammer album. It's a it's a completely unique beast. And I, I think you're going to surprise some people with this album. I think you're going to delight some people with this album. And yeah, there's probably a certain segment of your of your fandom that will go, I get that it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I think they will appreciate at least your your willingness to stretch out and try some new things because you that's what you've always done. Well, again, it's 30 years. Uh, it's not ever been a band of like five dudes, you know, so it's always the same thing. Uh, you know, I used to, I, I was a big Rush fan when I was growing up. And after the 80s, I can remember that feeling of like, well, that's not the Rush that I like anymore. Uh, and I've stayed a fan, but, you know, those original albums are the things that, that I love. Same with a lot of those bands. Uh, so I understand how people feel when they're like, why did they, you know, but it's very hard to recreate the same thing, you know, just over and over and over again. I think there's three or four albums that are kind of like that. Uh, we're trying to build on that thing, same thing. And over time, uh, it's, it just becomes important over decades. You know, you need to, to try new things. So Yeah, I, w- I would think it would become a, a little bit uh, rote for a, an artist to try to stay in the same box all the time. I mean, it, it works for a band like ACDC, but that's not who you guys are. Well, no, and I do try to keep it all within the context of prog rock. So that's important for me, whether it has more guitar or more keyboards. Uh, you know, it, and it's just all, I mean, I hope that's the thing they come to expect from us is that they don't know what to expect. 
that, you know, we're not going to drive and we're not going to take the car into the ditch. You know, that's <laughs> keeping it on the road um, and just trying to make good music with good stories that compel you and pull you in and get you interested in the character. That's become a big thing for me now. And uh, so, yeah, continue doing that. I hope we'll see what they think. I've read a couple of reviews and I'm like, oh, I think they like it. <laughs> if the fans do. Steve, when somebody buys this album and puts it on, plays it start to finish, what do you hope that they take away from that experience? Oh, well, you know, I just want them to enjoy themselves. That's always been first and foremost, even above the message. Uh, because I, to me, this is entertainment. You know, I don't think a lot of prog rockers look at it that way. Uh, but to me, I've, I've got to entertain people. You've got to be interested and happy. Uh, then beyond that, I hope that people you know, or interested in what I'm trying to explore or say about my faith and that they'll take heart from some of the ideas that I've presented and do their own search for God. That's always been a big uh, thing for me. Uh, but just generally, I just hope they, they walk away enjoying it and want to listen to it again. I've heard that said of a lot of Glass Hammer albums. You've got to hear them several times. Um, so I wish they'd catch on the first time. But sometimes <laughs> you've got to dive in and listen to it again. Yeah, I hope I just hope it's enjoyed. Okay, there's some great music that you capture immediately. That immediately you get it. There's other music that is more rewarding. I think when you spend some time with it and you learn, kind of like um, you know, kind of like dating someone. You you learn a little bit more every time, and then you kind of eventually come to this full realization of of what the whole picture is. And and I think those can be the most rewarding uh, experiences. It's like a good book or a good movie. Uh, you know, if it's good enough that I go back and see a movie the second or third time or, or a series, even, and I'm starting to pick up on all these little nuances that the director or the writer or the author put in these, uh, into all this work. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was what tied all this together. You know, just neat little things like that. If you really dive in, put those headphones on with glass hammer albums and listen to everything that's going on, there's a lot there. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope it I hope it's worth repeated listens. Now you've you put this to bed a little bit ago. Uh, have you already turned your attention to the next project? Uh, slowly, uh, because I've got one song I'm thrilled with uh, that's in the works, um, and it's just music right now. And then I just bought a, and I'm not a guitar player, but I've been playing some lately just to demo it for Reese or, or Fred. Uh, and so now I've, I've invested in this really cool SG so I can do that Sabbathy doom stuff. Um, so I've got some heavy stuff going on. I kind of, you know, part of me, I want to do like a big old monster heavy album where all the songs are like that. And then I'll find myself with a keyboard and it's beautiful and it's majestic. Oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. So <laughs> I, I would imagine that it'll be just more of the same, um, you know, but with some slightly, slightly different ideas going on with it. But I, I, that's my thing. That's it's the bass and keyboards and to a certain extent some, some guitar. And uh, it's just going to be my songs. And, you know, and like I said, always though, in a prog rock context. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we'll not abandon our fans. <laughs> that's 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 great to hear, and I'm I'm sure uh, sure they're happy to hear that too. Steve Babb from Glasshammer. It has been uh, amazing for me to le learn a little bit more about this album. It was certainly amazing for me to listen to this album. I think I'm going to enjoy this one for quite some time. It may be joining joining the ones I already uh, showed you earlier about the uh, among my favorites uh, from your band. I, I wish you nothing but the best of success with this. I hope it does really well. And I hope somebody ponies up some money so you guys can get out and play a couple live dates. <laughs> we'll see. I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. 
Thanks for listening.